my life fades. The vision dims. All that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos. Ruined dreams. This wasted land. Episode 6 of From the Wastes. Today's guest is Evan Pickering. Evan is an independent author and writer of the post-apocalyptic series American Rebirth. We chat about his books, PA fiction in general, the works of Cormac McCarthy and Richard Matheson, and the real-world difficulty of surviving the apocalypse. We also discuss using social media for marketing one's work. Might not be what you think. And we also talk about how he deals with negative reviews and... The cusp of the whole thing is we talk about Super Nintendo's Final Fantasy III. Evan Pickering, welcome to The Waste. How you doing? Evan, my man. It's good to get to chat with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is really cool. It is. Very cool. Um, you are... Uh, that sounded dismissive. It's not dismissive. It, it is actually very cool. Um, <laughs> I know. This has been a long time coming for me and you. This is, uh, you know, this is years in the making. You're an independent author of the uh, post-apocalyptic uh, rebirth series, American rebirth series, um, mm-hmm. comprising of the books Hood, Legends, and American Rebirth. Can you tell me about them? Yeah, sure. Um, so they are a, uh, what I would describe as a, a post-apocalyptic Robin Hood adaptation. Um, it's it's a story that has been really close to me for a long time. I. Uh, I had the idea for years, and um, I wrote some short stories that were kind of post-apoc related. And um, actually, I wrote some Robin Hood post-apoc short stories that they're stashed away somewhere. Um, but I had under the bed. Yeah, they're howling under the bed somewhere. And uh, so I always I thought it was really cool, and I always loved Robin Hood. Like I loved the Disney Hood, Disney Robin Hood cartoon when I was a kid, and I used to watch Robin Hood movies. And I liked the idea of someone who was like kind of a badass, but did it for good reasons. Um, and I think a lot of guys, a lot of people like stories like that. And um, so I always had this idea of like a post-apocalyptic Robin Hood. And I knew I wanted to make a novel out of it. And I had, the for those of you, for those people who have read the book and know what happens in the ending and all that stuff, like I had all that. I knew all that was going to happen. That was like my whole goal. Um, I had a whole narrative in mind for like the whole series. And um so it was very much kind of a love child for me this this series and when I finally like I, I wrote I wrote my first book when I was around 18 but it, I never published it and um because I it just wasn't ready you know it was, it was my first one that's also howling under the bed and uh but I always knew I wanted to write this book and I finally was like all right it it was uh I forget what year it was but I was like finally like, I'm gonna write it and I got around to writing it and it took me four years or so so I guess it was around 2012 I started writing it because I published it in 2016. Um, and it's basically, it's a story of 
uh, regular people in the apocalypse. Like I wanted to be a narrative that I like the people that you were reading about in the end of the world were people that could be you or someone you knew or, or friends or family members. Like I, I, I didn't like apocalyptic stories that felt like the characters were either like gritty survivalists without a care or like, or like helpless children or like, you know, I felt like everything was so, everyone was either like gun you down, n no conscience, or it was like the exact opposite. And I wanted to write about like regular people who were capable of both great um, heroism and great mistakes and tragedies and and, and fear and like insecurity and, and uncertainty. Like I wanted to write about regular people in the apocalypse. And the Robin Hood character, I wanted to be an incredibly gifted marksman, like a brilliant, like natural, like he never knew he was, he was a regular kid the, before the apocalypse, but he finds out he's like a natural shot, but he hates violence and he, he sees himself and the other people and everyone, even strangers, you know, he sees, he see in their nervousness, he sees his nervousness and their, um, in their fight, he sees his fight. You know, he thinks like I'm fighting for my family. They must be fighting for their family. Um, so why am I right? And they're wrong, you know, because I'm me and like, um, I was always obsessed with the idea of like winning and losing because I think our culture is very, very obsessed with winning. And, and to me, it seems a silly thing because like for you to win, someone has to lose. And that's like the world is a zero sum game by and large. Um, and that's never, and it's true in our lives. It's true. And if you get a job, someone else didn't get that job or whatever, but in the apocalypse, it's so much more real and so much the stakes are so high. Because usually when you win, you live, and when they lose, they die. Um, and so I wanted to write a story about, like, a Robin Hood guy who wanted to care about people and do the right thing and help people, but in a world where that's not really... It takes extraordinary courage and uh, capability to do that. And, and at, at times, he can't do that. Like, and that's what the story's about. And you know you know the story, so, like, Whiskey is sort of the perfect foil for him. Because Whiskey's the, the, the Little John character. And to him, he's like the guy who's like, you protect your family, you do what it takes, you don't second guess yourself, like you fight and you survive. And so like they journey together, they have the same goals, like they're fighting for the same cause. But um, Rob, the main character is like, but if we do that, we're just as bad as the bad guys, you know, like what makes us any different from them if they just do a fighting for what they want? You know, if, if you think everyone you don't meet, you don't know is your enemy, like th then we're all just going to die sooner or later. Like it's just, that's just the reality, you know? Um, and so basically I wonder, this is very long winded, but I wanted to write a story about a grim, dark world, but one that also had hope in it. You know, one that like where people still fought for hope, even if it seemed like it was a stupid thing you couldn't do. And so Rob was a character that's like, it's impractical and stupid to hope and to think other people are, could be good or that there's something else greater fighting for in a world where you are barely surviving. But, um, he wanted to, he couldn't let go of that. And, um, ultimately that's what the story is about is a fighting. It's fighting, just fight, fighting for your family and fighting like the hero's journey and overcoming great odds to do something amazing. But it's also like a philosophical journey about like, who are we as people? Like not just in the apocalypse, but in our world, like, do we care about what happens to the people around us? You know, even if we don't know them, you know, why do we have to know them first to give a damn about what happens to them? Um, you know, and I always loved, like, I don't know if you read all, all quiet on the Western front. Um, but it was, one, they call it like the best anti-world novel ever. And it's, it's honestly, 
it's a beautifully written novel and it's very, it has aged very well. Like if you read it now, it feels very contemporary. Um, and there's a scene where it's a world war one novel and he's a German soldier. And there's a scene where he's like, uh, they have to run into no man's land. And he, the main character like barely makes it into like a, a pit in the middle of no man's land. And he finds a French soldier and he immediately like stabs him and shoots him. And then, but he has to hide in this pit while the gunfire goes off above him. And so he just lays with this soldier that he's basically killed and like slowly watches the guy die. And when he's seeing the man face to face, he has all these thoughts and feelings of like, he starts crying and he's like, I, I want to find your family and tell them I'm sorry. Like, because he, he sees this young kid like him, you know, it's like a, a young French man dying in a war that he doesn't care about, you know, probably the same way that Paul Baumer, the main character, didn't care about the war he was in. And, um, you know, he like finds the man's journal. That's actually where I got the journal from idea from in my book. He finds him in journal and he starts reading it. And he's like, I'm going to find your family and give this back to you. And it's it's very much this war dream, this like this whole like one day I'm going to make this right. You know, like uh, anyone who's like, you know, mentally destroyed in war. Um, but I thought it was a beautiful scene and it drives point to home, draws home the point that it's easy for us to make enemies of those we can't see or those we don't know. But like once there's some people that if you knew them, they would be just like you. And um, why do we have to wait to know them first? You know, it's like. Some, and sometimes we purposefully make people different or, or push them away so we don't have to know them. So it's easy to make them enemies or easy to make them a uh, subject of blame. Anyway, these are all big picture things, but this is stuff I really want to tackle in my books because I thought it was um, things that I don't know if a lot of people think about, but I'm sure plenty of people think about it, but I wanted to make it relevant and real. So my novels are, um, it's a hero's journey. It's kind of a classic, like, action adventure sort of danger hero's journey but there's a very philosophical too and there's like a like, why are we all doing this kind of question to it um and i also wanted to in the greater perspective of the the trilogy i wanted to blend the uh, uh kind of a sci-fi and fantasy a post-apocalyptic fantasy feel that like as the books go on and civilization starts to rebuild because in the second and third books you start to see civilization rebuild and it's sort of this new america and um I wanted to show that like almost like w w the history and time seems to repeat itself. Like, like this has happened before. Um, and maybe it'll happen again, you know, like again with the Robin hood theme, like Robin hood's happened before and maybe it'll happen again. And maybe this isn't the last time, you know, like that idea was big for me. Um, kind of the cyclical nature to human experiences and, and to life and maybe, maybe the universe, um, there's actually, it's funny, this is kind of a behind-the-curtain moment, but uh, there's, uh, there's a scene in the very beginning of the book, and I don't want to spoil too much what goes on, but the main hood's talking to the main guy, and the guy says, have you ever heard the theory that, you know, if time is infinite and matter is finite, then everything that's happened before has happened. Everything that happened will happen before, again and has happened before, um, which is, it's a philosophical theory. Like, if it's true, if time is infinite and matter is finite, then like everything you can possibly imagine has happened before. Mm -hmm. Like a world where we're all squid people has happened before. A world where we all are purple has happened before. Like you've sat and listened to this podcast before if you believe in this. You know, like in a different world, maybe millions, billions of years ago. Um, and, and it's like fascinating to think about. And there's like a, you know, that idea kind of took me too in um, the sort of like reflexiveness of life and the sort of this way there seems to be a cycle to things. And, you know, I'm not an expert, I don't know, but I, I like those ideas. I thought they were fascinating to me and I wanted to bring them to life in, in, a, in a series, this idea of like rebirth and um, 
recreation. And to me, post-the apocalypse is very much about rebirth. It's about like one ending is another beginning. I mean, even if humans die, even if even if all humans died, like that would be a beginning again somehow for something somewhere, you know. And um, anyway, this is a very long form answer, but my books are, uh, yeah, they're ultimately it's a story of uh, fighting for what matters to you and for trying to overcome great odds and and fight for what you believe in, even if it seems wrong or ridiculous. Um, so. Yeah, it's uh, they. I, when I tell you I'm proud of them, like it doesn't even the words don't even totally mean what I what they truly mean to me because this was a, definitely these are stories I wanted to tell for a long time and I, I'm so happy to finally have three of them like a trilogy of them out because it's uh, you know they're near and dear to my heart. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention was um, <clears throat> when you when Hood does. He, he, he does become very, very reluctant, someone in his sights, and, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't want to pull a trigger. He doesn't want to pull a trigger, and he has to sit there and basically tell himself, I have to, I have to, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and um, I thought that was a really interesting uh, uh, thing because you don't really, I haven't seen that all that often, you know, that yeah. inner struggle of I have to do this. I don't want to do it, but I have mm-hmm. to do it, and... Um, that was really cool to be able to see that. Yeah. I, I, uh, that to me, that essentially that opening scene is in a way what the entire book is about. And, and obviously it's way more complex and it's fleshed out in different ways, but I too, that's actually, it's, it's funny you say that cause that was a big point for me is like, this is something I never see, but I feel like if the apocalypse actually happened, this would be very real. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, if you look at humanity, like, and I'm a believer that, like, yeah, there's terrible people out there and there's plenty of evil in the world, but, like, by and large, even from a from a scientific perspective, there's actually a, a lot of evidence that says, like, social justice is real and that, like, if you put groups of people together, they don't want to kill each other and they want to have justice see through. Like, it's a, it's actually, a, it's actually like a instinctual protective measure for, for society. And I feel like if the apocalypse actually happened, there would be so many people out there that could kill but didn't want to. And obviously a lot of them would die because that hesitation would kill them, unfortunately, you know, um, but, but there were some, there would be some inevitably who would survive, you know, who were, and, um, Rob was one of the characters who it's two years, the book starts two years after the apocalypse and he's still alive. And he's, he's in a situation where he's relatively, he has, he has his normal life, quote unquote, it's not really normal, but you know, he's surviving. Um, but to him, he still has the luxury of being able to like question the fact that he still has to kill people and that it doesn't ever seem okay. Like it's, um, you know, it, it's so easy. And I think it's almost dangerous in fiction to make it so easy to kill your enemies. Um, because it's so, it's just the, and I don't want to get too, um, uh, ethical here and be all Heidi, uh, <laughs> high pedestal about it, but like, but the otherism, it's so easy to be like, we're the good guys or the bad guys, kill the bad guys and everything's good. Like, that's just not real. <laughs> like, right. it's that's just a very naive way to look at the world and to look at all struggle. And that's why to Rob, it was like, I'm fighting for my family. It, it, there's definitely whoever that guy's fighting for, he's probably fighting for someone other than himself. You know, like maybe every once in a while there's someone who literally has no one else out there and they're just fighting to survive. Right. But most people... You know, humans are social creatures. We gather together. We make we make families 
even if you don't have your family, you make families of people you care about, of friends. And, and um, you know, it, it was to me, that was the biggest thing about the book that I wanted to be real and to be honestly, like you like you said, it, it's not common. And I want to be the kind of crux of the book is that like regular everyday people we're not killers. Like most people, I mean, unless maybe you're a cop or you've gone into military service and you've had to, and, but even those people, like they're not just cause they've had to do that. They're not killers. Like they're, they've, their duty has maybe made them do this, but like very few people I think are naturally killers or naturally people who feel no compunction killing another human. Um, and so to me, it seemed irresponsible and kind of not realistic to show all this post-apocalyptic fiction where like, and look, look, I love the walk. I love the early seasons of the walking dead and it's cool and all, but like this idea that all these people are just like, yup. Okay. And then they pick up a gun and they're like, first off, they're all sharpshooters, which is hilarious. Like they all, they all can't miss, which is like, you know, funny. I mean, I'm one to talk. Rob is obviously a sharpshooter, but I wanted to be that he was like a natural marksman, you know, on those shows, it's like everyone's great with a gun and everyone is just like, okay. And they just shoot bad guys. And like, like obviously zombies are easy to shoot, but, they're like, well, those guys are trying to get us and they just shoot them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I don't know. That always bothered me. Like it, it, it um, my favorite character in the series was Shane and, you know, cause, cause he was such a shades of great character. Like he did good things, but he also did bad things. And that seemed more real to me of like, that's a real person who like doesn't know what to do, you know? Um, anyway, so, uh, I, I just, the, and I have some self doubt about it. Honestly, honestly, I have some self doubt about sometimes where I'm like, am I writing a two Pollyannish series where it's like, oh, everyone wants to fight for what's good. But, but I think that's honestly, I think that's real. I, I think most people, I think people want to be pessimistic and say that like, oh, the world's a vampire and it'll kill you and everyone wants to kill each other and eat each other or whatever. But like reality is like, there is the fact that we live today and that the world hasn't blown itself up yet is proof that we live in a world where most people don't want to kill each other. You know, like, cause if we did, we would have been dead already. You know, right. like if people loved killing each other more than they loved not killing each other, we have the bombs, we have the nukes, we have the everything we could do it. You know, it's um, anyway. So um, I, I was glad you brought that up. That's that's definitely kind of the big, big feature of the book. And uh, uh, it's just something I think about all the time. Like I'm a very that, that's the kind of stuff that is, gets in my brain. It doesn't really leave, you know. So why did you pick the post-apocalyptic genre to write in? I mean, do uh, you do you play uh, PA games or uh, do you like PA movies, television shows? I mean, is that is that really kind of what you're into, and so that's what you wanted to write about, or? Yeah, you know, it's it wasn't originally like I think I first got first got into it towards the end of college, which is probably like seven or eight years ago now. Um, but I grew up big on. Uh, fantasy and sci-fi like i watched star treks me and my dad and my brother used to watch star trek as kids and uh um i love reading fantasy novels like that was my bread and butter like the first novels i think i read were like boxcar kids novels and then and then i started reading uh dragon lance was the first um the margaret weiss and tracy, tracy hickman mm -hmm. yeah. dragon i think it's tsr um i don't remember but um those those fantasy novels and i was in love i was like 10 11 years old and i was in love with fantasy um, and I played fantasy video games. I played like the early Final Fantasies. And you talked about the JJ Shirty, uh, like Secret of Mana. I loved Secret of Mana. That was one of the best games. Me and my brother used to play like a maniac. And like, but I always loved these 
like in like Final Fantasy three or it's Final Fantasy six or whatever in America, um, there's actually an apocalypse in that game. Mm -hmm. Like halfway through the game, the bad guy wins, and uh, this is by the way, this isn't a spoiler. This game's been out for thirty years. If any of you, the bad guy wins and like literally like sunders the world and everything's like totally messed up. And you're literally the second half of the game is in quote unquote the world of ruin, which is basically an apocalyptic world, and like. The, and the, the main characters have to slowly find each other and then like rally together and then eventually beat the bad guy. Like, but it was so cool to me. One, the bad guy winning to me was like such a weird, unexpected twist. It was like holy crap! Like he he like they tried to stop him and they failed. And it was like it was really cool. And then like I was so I was so struck at a young age. I think I was probably like eleven or twelve when I played this game with my brother. So struck by this post-apocalyptic world, and I was so moved by the characters. Because they like the world gets sundered and they all get split apart and like one by one you find your old cat your old uh, people you ventured with and you like find out what happened to them and some of them some of them had like huge personality crises where they like weren't no were no longer themselves they self doubt like they were it was so crazy it was such I mean honestly it's such a I'm talking about it's a brilliant game and it you know the graphics are ancient now but it was like the story was incredible and um. That was the first real post-apocalyptic game, when I really think about it, that I ever played, even though it's a fantasy game. But I actually, I think it's really interesting. I think post-apocalyptic is, like, inherent in fantasy. Like, a lot of fantasy is about, like, oh, the first age, the second age, the third age. And those ages happened because something, the world, like, blew up, basically, or a huge war blew up the world or something, you know? And, like, and, um, you know, it's in history. It's in, like, religious, like, the, the like a flawed, a sundering, like, a, a cataclysm. Like, these, all these things are in... They're in history, like the Dark Ages in history is very much sort of like an apocalyptic event. Like the rebirth, the Renaissance was like a rebirth thereafter. And um, I think like the apocalypse is very much like in our psyche and in the way we write stories in general, even if they're not inherently post-apoc stories. Um, and so to me, it's such a interesting, it's such a pivot. I, to me, it's like almost inherent in, in the way humans are in, in, in storytelling. Um what I loved about post-apoc is that it's so close. Like the genre, what I mean to say post-apoc, I mean the genre is that usually post-apocalyptic fiction is like right after it happened or usually like soon after it happened. And you, you get these people pushed up against the wall. That is the, 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 the un undoing of civilization. And I love the genre because you find out who people really are. And even in the, even that old video game, Final Fantasy six, like you saw these people who had these identities, like I am this person, and then when their civilization collapsed, when their empires collapsed, when their families collapsed, all of a sudden that was torn down and they were someone different. Like, like they had to figure out who they were. Um, so I read, you know, the first, I read The Road in college and I was absolutely immersed. I thought it was unbelievable. Um, Cormac McCarthy's brilliant. And um, his world is so stark. His lack of the verb, he never uses the verb to be in that book, which is crazy. Uh, a lot of people who read it know that. And then I read I Am Legend. That was like probably still to this day my favorite book or one of my favorite books. It was unbelievable. And I loved it because it was very much like he was a regular guy. Like he, he lost his family and he's like, and that book is um, Richard Madsen. He actually wrote a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. And when you know that, it sort of makes sense when you read the book because it's very Twilight Zone-y. But he like, it was so, I love the book because one day he'd wake up and he's super inspired and he's motivated and he's working hard. And the next day he moves up, wakes up and he's drunk and he's hates his life. And why is he doing this? He, he's alone and misses, you know, he just wants to die and be with his family. And like, um, 
it was you felt like you were on the ride with them. Like it felt so real. Like this felt like a ride. This felt like a real person in the apocalypse. Is like it wasn't just like yeah we're good let's soldier on keep soldiering on soldier. You know it was like he had doubt he had fear he had he would get huge bursts of energy he would have huge waves of doubt and it was like I loved that I thought it was so real um, and that very much is a motivator for me in, in writing my in my books I wanted to feel real and have these these characters that were not on a straight line, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, the genre to me is just, I love how it tears away all the trappings of civilization and all these things that we tell ourselves we are, you know, like we all, every one of us has a narrative of who you say you are in your head. And maybe that is you and maybe it's not like maybe a lot of it's true and maybe some of it's not. Um, but like we change with time and, our, our narrative of ourselves doesn't always update as we change. Um, but when you have the apocalypse, like there's no luxury of having this narrative of who you think you are. It's just who you are in the situation. It's like, do you save the person or do you run? You know, do you fight or do you flee? Do you um, give up or do you keep going? Do you find meaning in the, in the emptiness or do you like surrender to the, the, the end? You know, like it's, um, there's so much, there's so much existential, so many existential things that goes on in the psyche of someone facing such great turmoil and the destruction of civilization. Because civilization is what we base our entire selves on. Like your your job is a part of civilization. Your, you know, your house is a part of civilization. With the the state you live in, the country you live in, most of our identity is tied to civilization. And if you tear that away, like who are you? Like you, you find out real quick who you are and, and um, at least I, I think you would. And some people would crumble and some people wouldn't. And that's interesting too. So it is, you, you, you can prepare, you can train, you can fantasize, you can do all of these things, but until it happens, mm -hmm. there is, there is nothing that is going to, you can't definitively say, this yeah. is what I'm going to do. Even though you say, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, you, and you, until you, that moment happens, no idea, none. And, and that's that's so. I feel like that is not that idea that you just said is not appreciated enough, especially in a lot of this fiction and a lot of this stuff. It's like you you really don't, man. Like, and, and I don't like. And I've always said, and obviously, me and my friends joke around like, oh man, what would we do if it's an apocalypse? Like, what, what? How would we survive? Like, if right, we'll, we'll be like hanging out. We'll be like, if right now it happened, what would we do? You know, and it's like it's fun, but. Sure. I was, I've always gone on record being like, I do not want the apocalypse because I don't know if I would survive. And I consider myself like a very capable person. But if, if I had to, like, like you said, if I had the gun in front of me and I had to point at someone like, I don't know if I could do it. I really don't like I. And but even then, I don't know. Like, I still like maybe I could. Maybe I didn't. Like you said, I don't know until you're in the and, and no one knows until you're in the situation. And like war shows that to people. Like mm -hmm. soldiers, and that's why war fiction is so, and war stories and war nonfiction is so moving because, like, you just see people coming apart the seams or not, or whatever, or heroism and, and insane, like, just insanity. And, um, you know, I think in fiction, often we, we, we show, like, I was talking about Walking Dead before, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm an 11 year old kid, I pick up a gun and now I'm a sharpshooter. It's like, the hell are you talking about? You know, like, or the guy's like, I'm a, even if you were like a cop or something like being a cop is different from being a, a, a survivor in the apocalypse. You know what I mean? Like it certainly helps being a cop or being a soldier because you know more than your average person and you're 
far more equipped to deal with it. But that still doesn't mean that, you know, like my grandpa was a cop and they eventually like took him off duty and had him train people because he like never really like giving people tickets and wasn't really like, he wasn't basic, basically like wasn't mean enough or what, not mean enough. But he wasn't like enforcing the law enough. They're like, oh, just train, like, just train the young guys. Like my grandpa was a cop and he wouldn't, I don't think he would be able to just like gun people down if he had to, you know, so um, it's that idea that you said, I think is really interesting and, and it's underappreciated um, in fiction a lot. Let's talk about your uh, book covers for a minute. Yeah, your your books had their original covers, mm -hmm. and um, yep. and now they have new covers. Well, they've had new covers for a little bit for a little while now, and yeah. uh, um, they're gorgeous. I they're I mean they're stunning. They're they're just they're they're gorgeous. Can you tell me about that whole process of? Um, and I see that a lot. I see a lot of books that the covers will change at mm -hmm. some point. Yeah. And I've, I've always wondered, you know, was it, did the author just want to make it better? Did they want to make it different? Did they, you know, why, why did they change the cover? And mm -hmm. so would you mind talking about that? Yeah, yeah. I actually think this, this kind of topic's really interesting. And I'm, I'm big into the whole production side of, like, I mean, I love writing, but a lot of writers don't love the, the publication and production side. I actually think it's fascinating. Um, and yeah, writers definitely love to tinker with covers, you know, like it's just, you know, being like, oh, how can I make it better? Because it's this, it's your package, you know, it's your selling point. It's the very, it's honestly the biggest tool to sell your book. And if you don't realize that in the title are the two biggest tools to sell your book. And you, you need to understand what your title does and what your cover does. And if you don't, you probably need to change it, you know, which is crazy, but it's true. Um, and I've studied a lot about this stuff. Um, but the reality is like, even for me, and I studied a lot, and even for a lot of writers, like there's, it's not an exact science. Like, um, I loved my original covers, but they were very limited and I made them with the help of actually my first cover. Um, and you remember, you were there, so you've been there since the beginning. You remember the first cover for Hood. Um, and uh, I had I had help making it. There was a, a moderator for the Apocalypse Whenever group on Goodreads. Her name's Gertie. She's awesome which is super helpful um i had i literally was trying to make a cover and i was terrible at image editing skills and um i asked her for help and she free of just really kindly just helped me out and helped me i had, I had problem um, merging some images and doing a few things and she just did it for me seamlessly and helped and just gave it back to me and it was super awesome of her um and I was, i'm really proud of the first covers honestly i loved them but they were limited and they weren't professionally done they were done by me you know and like they're pretty good for what they were and I love I don't get me wrong I love having the creative control but I'm not you know I'm not a graphic designer I'm not a visual artist like I, I I'm very my drawings are terrible <laughs> like you know um and I got some friends who are like comic writers and stuff and they're better at this than me but uh um but so anyway so I it was a hard decision, honestly, because I did love my cover, and a lot of people tell me they like the cover too. But I wanted, as since these were my this this series is definitely my baby, I wanted to put the money back in because I, you know, I figured just taking a little bit of money, investing it back in the book was, books were well worth it. Um, so I went on K Boards, which is a forum for writers, uh, both self pub and conventionally pub, and um, a lot of a lot of book cover people just you know promote their stuff on there, which is which is cool, and I. I was looking around, I saw some image editors and stuff and a lot of guys, a lot of people who make beautiful covers by merging images and, and uh, just, you know, graphic design. 
but I wanted an I wanted like a, a illustrated cover. I wanted like a um, a digitally illustrated or, or or physically illustrated whatever. I wanted like a, a drawn cover, like the old fancy books I used to read. Um, and so I found this guy advertising Jeff Brown, and it was uh, it was it was expen- his, his his stuff is pricey, but honestly, I looked at his art and it is gorgeous. It was like beautiful, unbelievable stuff. Um, and I could tell it was all illustrated. Like none, this wasn't this wasn't just images being you know graphically designed this was uh this was art i mean not that that isn't art but you know what i mean like this was this was drawn and so i had these ideas and he worked with me and he was super helpful he helped we all worked through a few ideas first and um he came up with the cover of a hood and it was very much this it was perfect like exactly what i wanted like hood and whiskey kind of standing there and like this broken city in the background and like this big landscape and um but it still showed the world was green and growing and like not totally dead. Like the, 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 the natural world was still alive, even if our civilization was dead. And I wanted to show that because to me, that's a big, the feel of that is big in the book. And, um, yeah. And then he, then he did the cover for legends, which was even better. It's this like, you know, erect, beautiful, sunny day in like destroyed New York city. And, um, and the third cover which was, uh, kind of like this like shrouded sniper, which I can't talk about for the sake of the story, but, <laughs> but, you know, in the woods next to this like big, big, uh, 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 like tower. And it was, I don't know, it was really cool, but they, they were gorgeous. And, um, but the big thing for me is like when I was studying covers, um, which I think is really interesting and it's kind of not well known even by a lot of authors is that your cover, like a lot of times people are like, I want a scene from the book or I want, um, a certain thing that conveys the character, you know, whatever. The reality is your cover actually should very often should have nothing to do with the scene in the book at all. Your cover's point is to um, actually catch the reader and convey the theme and feel of your book, which is like a lot of people don't know, but like um, very often you shouldn't, you could use a scene not from the book at all. And that actually might be better, which is interesting, but it has to like encapsulate what the book it is thematically about and, and the feeling your book is trying to convey. Um, and so my, my, my covers aren't exactly scenes in the book. They're sort of related to some scenes in the book. Um, but it didn't matter to me because it was more important that they really convey what the story was about. And, uh, that to me was a, a big goal of mine. And I really felt that, uh, Jeff Brown did a great job doing that. His art was unbelievable. And, uh, and it was cool. Like I look at him and, and you know, I know you've said you really like the art and stuff and it's awesome getting feedback from people, but I'll tell you, it's funny. I still have people who miss the old covers. They're like, Oh, I love the old style. It was all gritty and dark. And, um, but I knew, but I knew the new covers were true to what my vision was. And I knew they'd convey what the story, what the feel. And I don't know if you agree, but I feel like they convey the feel of what the story is. Um, which was, which was, which was big for me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I love the kind of stuff. I think covers are really interesting, and there's a lot more that goes into them than people think. People are usually just like, I just want a pretty cover that's a scene from my book. It's like, well, it's not always that. Like, your cover is your biggest piece of advertising. you got to make sure it really drives home what your book is. As an independent author, tell me about the marketing is a huge deal. Yes. What, what did you do to market your books? Well, I think this is actually going to kind of, before I go fully into my uh, kind of my, my path in marketing. Um, the one thing I think I kind of connect cause it connects to the, both the book cover and the marketing part and, um, people, and you touched on it. People don't realize like the most important marketing you can do for your book. 
and a lot of authors don't know this, is the cover and the title. And by that, I mean they need to tell the reader what the genre is and what the story is about. Yes. And like, like you said, like you'll go into a bookstore, you'll go into Amazon, and if, you, if the cover excites you, if it, you're like, whoa, that's really cool, and the title then interests you and tells you what the genre is, you'll probably buy or consider buying that book. But like, um, so a lot of times people will go into like, they want the title or the cover to look like this and they'll title like, it'll be a, um, you know, like a, a mystery series or something, or it'll be like a, a thriller and the, and the title will be like the Gilded Rose or something because like somehow the Gilded Rose is maybe it's like a bar in the story or it's like a important item in the, in the story, but that's a terrible title because it sounds like a romance title. And if you don't immediately, if the title does not immediately convey to you what the genre is, the title has failed. And so, um, like, like, but if the, if the title is a thrill and the title is like the sudden departure, now you, now you're gripping people. Now you're like, what happened? Who left? What did someone die? Like, what's the departure? Is it a plane? Like, is it, is a person, you know, like you're getting someone like, this is, this is showing some action, some catastrophe, some problem. And so, like, it's this. This is really interesting, and I think a lot of people it's lost on them. And uh, like, it's like my book is literally Hood, a post-apocalyptic novel, right? And which tells you immediately it's probably something with Robin Hood, and it's post-apocalyptic. <laughs> you know, yeah. like to me that was super important to get. Like, I wanted it to be very obvious to the reader what, in general, sort of they were getting into. Um, because honestly, like, let's say you buy a book and the cover is beautiful and the and the title makes sense. If like you read the book and at the end you look back cover and you're like, huh, that's funny. That cover wasn't that scene wasn't in the book. You're not like mad. You're not like, oh my god, I was lied to. Like that that cover did its job. It got you to buy and read the book. You know, so um, writers should be very cutthroat about their covers and their titles. And often they're not. Often they're very very willowy and sing songy and feely about, oh, I wanted this, I want this kind of thing. And it's you have to be very if if you want to be good marketing in your book. Cutthroat with your titles, cutthroat with your covers. Be very, very smart about what you're trying to convey. Um, and I was lucky enough that that I did that kind of instinctually before I started studying, like the hood post-apocalyptic novel. I literally just went on Amazon and started looking through books, and I saw one that said a post-apocalyptic novel as a subtitle, and I said I'm doing that because hood is cool, but I want them to know it's apocalyptic. You know, like if this is hood, like is it? Is it a kid wearing a hoodie? Is it our time? Is it Robin Hood from Middle Ages? Like, I wanted to be clear. And so that actually, in terms of marketing, some of the best stuff I did was for my crude cover that I had in the beginning, it conveyed the genre. It was very bleak and grim and apocalyptic. And there was like a gun there, so you knew there was probably some kind of gun combat. Mm -hmm. And the titles told you the genre and the theme. And, um... And so honestly, that's probably some of the best marketing I did, which I did sort of instinctually. And I was very lucky that it worked out that way um, because a lot of people ask me, like, how did you do so well with your first book? Like, how did it blow up like that? Um, I mean, it wasn't like JK, you know, I'm not like <laughs> not a superstar author or nothing. But for in terms of indie authors, like I did really well for my first year. Um, and uh, honestly, because people ask me, like, well, what, what tricks did you do? And look, I, I went and I did... Um, I went on Book Barbarian, which sells sci its promotions for sci-fi and um, fantasy books. I did all the promotion sites, um, you know, Ear to News Today, um, you know, all all those ones. There's a ton of them, but 
I promoted the book on there. Um, but I did some grassroots stuff too. Like I went and just kind of chatted with people and it was like, I didn't, at, when I first did it, I did the wrong way, which is by the way, the wrong way is, Hey, this is me buy my book, <laughs> <laughs> which is by the, the single worst thing you can do right now. If you're an author and you're listening, that is the single worst thing you can do. Um, what you should do is just go meet and talk to people and just be friendly and chat with people. And then if one day, if they're like, Hey man, I see you write books. I'm interested. Then just be like, cool, let me give you a free copy. And like, hopefully they read it and like it. And honestly, that sounds very slow and grassroots, but that's the best marketing you can do because um, you need people to get invested in your story. And if they don't know your story and they're not going to try, then get them invested in you, you know, um, which again, it can sound very cutthroat, but um, you meet some really cool people, honestly. Like, it's been really fun. Like, I've met really, I mean, I, I've met you through this. I've met... Uh, a lot of other cool authors and 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 artists and um, a lot of authors and artists tend to support each other and stuff like this, which is really cool. And um, so I went on Goodreads. I talked to people on there uh, on post-apoc forums. Um, I went on Kboards and I just kind of was transparent about my process and what it was going like. And a lot of other authors supported me there. Um, you know, I sort of just like was open about what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And I just was very talkative to people. And um, the book just kind of took off. Like, um, later on I learned more better marketing strategies, like how to do pay-per-click ads. Like I do Amazon pay-per-click ads, which are super useful. Um, like when you go to Amazon, you see like, uh, sponsored items related to this item or something. That's a pay-per-click ad. Like, um, all that stuff is super useful to get eyes, eyeballs on your books. Um, I got a book bub, which is really hard to get, uh, um, for hood. And that was like a huge deal for me. Um, um, book is like the, the, you know, the, the book promotion site and is really, really hard to get. Um, and I was so psyched when I got it. Um, but yeah, you know, like the marketing, the promotion, there's this brilliant website, uh, um, Nicholas Eric, N I K O L A S E R I K, um, where he talks about the ways to do promoting and marketing. And I studied, pretty much everything he said. And if you're an author and you're not an idiot, you should probably study it. Cause it's, he, he took, he took years of, he took, he basically took years of failing and not failing and everything he did wrong and right. And condensed it into like a very easy to read guide for free on the internet. And like, if you don't read it, you're out of your, you're out of your mind. And I, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm open. I tell people, I'm like, Hey, look, read this, you know, like it'll help you. Um, and, uh, you know, so this, I don't even know him. Like I've chatted with him on the forum a little bit. Like I'm not, this isn't some promotion on my side. Like I barely have talked to the guy, but, uh, I am grateful that he shared his knowledge for free. And I think if you're a writer, you should read it and learn. Um, because marketing is a lot about, it's ultimately about three things. It's about getting eyes. It's about a uh, flow of traffic. It's generating traffic to your books. Um, it's about like catching your readers once you have them, hooking them and, and keeping them. And then it's, uh, you know, generating a mailing list and hopefully getting them to be invo invested in you as an author or your books. And uh, ultimately, your books have to be good. You know, if they suck, people won't care and they won't come back. So, like, you have to be you have to produce a good product. But even honestly, even if you produce a good product, it is hard and it is it, getting people to care. The number one mistake writers make when they first start is they think people will care. And like that sounds brutal, but you have to ask yourself who gives a shit because like if, if your story isn't immediately hooking them, 
they're not going to, they're not going to take the time, you know, like, I mean, some people will, but a lot of people won't. And so like when you first start writing the first pages of your book, it better hook your reader, you know, exactly. like, like with Hood, I showed the conflict. Like he, he doesn't want to kill someone. He knows he has to, but he doesn't want to kill someone. And I showed you immediately because that's like that's what the book is about. And so if that interests you, you'll immediately be hooked to the book. Yeah. And like I, that's like that needs to. You just need to be really smart about this. And you know because it, the funny thing about writing is like, especially first time novelists, it's your baby. So of course it means the world to you. And you think of course. So then it might mean like twenty percent of the world to someone else. <laughs> Reality probably means like one tenth of one percent of the world to someone else, you know, like, and so you have to know that like this is, you can still be proud of it and be happy with it, but you have to be really smart about trying to get it in people's hands and trying to get people to care and get people interested. Um, so like, you know, I think it's, it's, I, like I said, I was lucky. A lot of things went right for me, but I've studied a lot of this craft ever since. And I think that it's a, I think the biggest problem with a lot of writers isn't their writing uh, at all. Like a lot of writers are, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, look, there's bad writers out there too, of course, but there's a lot of good ones out there that don't realize how much they're shooting themselves in the foot by not using this knowledge that's out there to really make sure you're bringing people in, like really make sure they, they are hooked. And like, if you get their eyes on your page, you better make sure you have a, you better make sure you have the best product out there to grab their attention. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I love to read. And since I started doing this, I've got a shit ton of books, man. <laughs> and a- any more. And part of me feels bad about it. But part of me, if you don't catch me on the first, first page, first couple pages, <laughs> man, it's on to the next one. I yep. mean, I've got, I've got more books than I'll ever read. I'll, I'll be dead. Before yeah, I, okay. before I read <laughs> Dude. everything, Dude, and yeah. so, and you also made a really super good point about uh, you know this whole social media thing, you know, especially on Twitter with uh, using Twitter as or whatever social media site. I mm-hmm. spend more time on Twitter than anything else. Um, yeah. Using that as as marketing your book, and um, and I don't know if it's just me. I don't know what the percentage of it is. Of you know, I'll. It's obvious that uh, it's obvious what I read. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that I'm a PA guy, yeah, and yeah. so and you know I'll get followed by somebody, and I'll, you know I'll get a DM, and hey, check out my book, and <laughs> it's just like it's like an automatic no. No, of course, exactly. Because no. because why do you give a shit? It's like right. I said before. Why do I give a shit? You can't right. assume people want to care. Right. And so, but then, you know, I'll, I'll get followed by, by, by a writer and, you know, cause the first thing I do is I go to, I go to their bio and then I, I go and look through their timeline. And if yeah. every, if, if every single tweet is, is, you know, just, you know, by my book, then, mm-hmm. you know, I tend not to, yeah. <laughs> talk, not to pay attention to it. But if I see that, uh, they're engaging with followers, um, mm-hmm. you know, I just followed, uh, this lady maybe uh, I don't know about a month ago and I don't I have no idea what she writes I, I have no idea what, what, what her books are because <laughs> all she does is engage with yeah. her readers which is great that's great you I know mean, and, and, and so probably do a little and, more promotion but still right. that's great and, and so um, uh, the first thing I should do or should have done is go and see what she wrote 
God, I feel like I should feel bad about this. I, 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 she doesn't write post-apocalyptic fiction, so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. you know. And, and, it's and, not just your thing. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm totally a literary tribalist, man. I mean, if it's not dystopian or PA mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I used to read a lot of uh, science fiction, military sci-fi, space opera. I don't read that much anymore. I've got a couple authors uh, whose yeah. stuff I read that um, I will read whatever they write. Yes. You know, and um, and same same with PA authors. Uh, if, if you if you wrote, you know, I'm going to say it straight out. If you ended up writing, uh, I don't read Westerns, but if you wrote a Western, I would read it. <laughs> That's because, awesome. Man. Because you're, you're an awesome writer. And uh, I would hope you'd make it PA, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole, you know, using social media as marketing. And, and I mean, you see, I see it every single day. And I don't know, I, I'm sure there's websites out there. In fact, I, I remember there was... There was one that was, you know, talking about, you know, and it was it was tailored towards new writers. You know, this is okay. You got to get on Twitter, and this is how you use Twitter to sell your book. Yeah. And maybe it works. I, I I don't I don't know. I have no idea. You know, because you go and you'll see. You know, they'll, they'll have, you know, seventy thousand followers. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, how many? A, how many of those did you pay for? Yeah, B, exactly. how many are bots? But and if they, if, if, them care. right. But you know, if they're using some sort of website, uh, some sort of automated, you know, there, there, there's websites where they'll automate tweets for you. Yep. You know, so so maybe they're getting enough out there where you know one out of every ten thousand hits they'll get a click on their Amazon page or mm-hmm. you know I don't know because uh, when I first started this it was I joined Twitter to follow a writer. No, oh, yeah. You know, and uh, and so that's kind of been what I've done since the beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a boy. There's definitely right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. And I guess if you're, you know, if you're able to sell books, awesome. But yeah. uh, I think I really do believe that you know engaging with the uh, with the readers um, is is probably way more effective than just you know blasting you know 47 tweets every 30 minutes <laughs> out into the ether you know oh. telling telling people to buy your book but um hey uh okay so do you read your book reviews and um if you do if i can't imagine you getting bad ones but if you get <laughs> bad ones how do you deal with that um yeah this is actually something that's pretty interesting i think uh i think basically most readers I, I i believe most authors read all their book reviews and if they say they don't they're probably lying um i do I, i've gotten a lot of positive reviews um but i definitely have gotten some negative ones too and it's it's funny i uh it doesn't it at very in the very beginning and i got a lot of positive reviews to start which is awesome um but when the very beginning when i started getting negative reviews it, it definitely i was like oh man that sucks like like i really you know because you want people everyone of course you want people to like your book, you know, again, someone's a writer's lying. If they say they don't care, of course they care. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was kind of a bummer at first, but like very quickly, I kind of realized that it was actually, um, I don't get upset at all anymore about bad reviews. Like it, I sure I'm mildly like, Oh man, that's a bummer. They didn't like it. But there's two things I realized about bad reviews. And then one of them is that, for a lot of these reviews, there's actually valuable information there that you can learn from. Even if the review itself is junk, 
what they can trying to convey is something you can use to learn from. So like if they're annoyed that something happened in the book or they're frustrated about something, whatever, like unless it's totally ridiculous, like um, it's kind of worth digging in and feeling like, okay, what did they, what's the motivate, what's the reader motivation there? Like what, what would they want? What did they want that they were denied by the book? And um, if you want to be a better writer, it's actually really good to figure out what, figure out what your readers want. And like, you can't, and the biggest thing is the main reason why I don't get bothered by bad reviews is because you cannot make everyone happy. Like there's just, even if you write the most readable, fun, enjoyable book out there, there are people who will hate it. And like, um, the interesting thing is you actually need that. Like, and a lot of people who start writing don't realize this, like you need bad reviews. Like if you don't have bad reviews, like people think it's all nonsense. You know, if people think all your reviews, it actually discredits your good reviews to have no bad reviews um, because everyone gets bad reviews. And and frankly, if you write a book where you didn't take risks enough that someone hates it, it's probably not a book that someone loves because you have to take risks as a writer. And some people won't like those risks, but some people will love them. And hopefully more people love them than don't. And, uh, you know, that's. You know, I took a lot of risks in book one, as you know, you know what happens in the whole story. And uh, um, a lot of people were mad about some of the things I did, but but it was, I, it was a risk I want to take for a greater narrative um, in the series. And, you know, I'm proud of that. And uh, but I, I honestly, I learned a ton. I learned a ton, ton, ton from the from the risks I took and from the bad reviews I got. Because I mean, mo like it was mostly great reviews. A lot of people really loved it, were moved by the story, and that meant the world to me. Um, a lot of people who were very angry and very upset, or or very, or underwhelmed. They're just like, man, it's just whatever, you know. And um, honestly, I'd rather people be mad than meh. Like the worst reviews, are the one where people are like, ah, whatever, I didn't, it didn't mean anything. Like that's if they get mad, then you kind of did your job, because like. <laughs> It sounds weird, but you want to get an emotional reaction from them, and if, even if it's one that they're like upset about, um, one one of the best reviews I got was like, and I got a ton of great ones. But one of the best reviews basically said like, I almost didn't leave this review because I was so, I was so messed up when the book ended, and it was so devastating. He's like, but I wanted to come back and write this review because it was a great book, and it really, the more I thought about it, it really meant something, and like that was, I was like, because I knew that they first weren't okay with it but they came back in fact they came back and had the you know were kind enough to like say something come back and take the effort to say something to give me feedback um that's what really was awesome because ultimately like and if you're out there and you're a reader um i know it's a pain in the ass writing a review for every book and every author wants reviews but like writing reviews is the best thing you can do for an author like it's just the best thing if you loved a book writing review it doesn't matter if it's five words like it, first off, if they read it, they'll be super happy if it's positive. And even if they're not, like, they should be happy the review is there. But even bad reviews, like, there's no such thing as bad press. Like, bad reviews are still credibility. There still shows that someone read your book and took the time to say something. Um, and uh, so I tell people, I'm like, whatever you feel, I don't care. Just write your write a review. Like, if it's bad, that's fine. Right? I, it's fine. You know? Um, so, uh, yeah, reviews, like for me, the feedback I get in reviews and dude, I'll be honest with you. If I'm having a day where I feel bummed out or I'm like not proud, you know, whatever, have some self-consciousness about my books, I'll go back and I'll rewrite my reviews. Um, 
because it makes me, and I don't know if all authors feel this way, but it makes me happy. Like even the, like seeing like the good reviews and feeling, knowing that someone cared enough to, or was moved enough that really meant something to them. And even the bad reviews, people are like, ah, it wasn't for me. I'm like, okay, it's okay. It wasn't for them. Like it's not for everyone. So like reviews, I think are a super interesting thing and people get very, writers get very sensitive about reviews and, um, because they pour their heart and soul into the book and have someone shred it apart at times can be devastating. But, um, I actually, again, if you're a writer out there, the number one thing, don't ever comment on a review. <laughs> I commented on one or two reviews and I never was aggressive. I never was angry. I just calmly was trying to talk to the person once or twice. And, and sometimes I commented on positive reviews and sometimes I commented on negative reviews. Just don't do it at all. It just, it doesn't look good. There's no good thing you can do if, you know, if you, if you want to hear, if you want to talk to your reader, tell, give them your email address they can reach you at or something and tell them to talk to you there in private because an author responding on those views just looks terrible. <laughs> it just does. Like, unfortunately it's the truth. Um, it makes you look obsessed. Uh, but, um, I, I, I mean, I don't care. I don't care that I commented on a few reviews. It's just part of growing up. It's part of being a writer and learning. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, reviews are are a huge part of a writer's life it really doesn't matter again if a writer doesn't tell you that they're lying because um ultimately you want to know your book was read by people and that it meant something to them so my reviews are near and dear to my heart and uh like i've read your review many times and it, I, I loved it <laughs> i still love it it's, it's great knowing that you you enjoyed the book so much man and it's like and that's why i tell people like if you really want to do something for an author, leave a review because especially if it's a positive review, like you'll make their day, you'll make their month. You know, like, so, um, cause for me, it's like, it's, it's honestly the, the best thing I can say about it is, is feedback. And like, even the negative reviews, I don't get upset anymore. And I, I don't, it doesn't bother me because it's feedback and it's, it's a lot of it's valuable. A lot of it has taught me when I write a new series, when I write a new book, like certain expectations readers have and, and, um, if you don't meet those expectations, you will lose some readers. Like you absolutely will. And that's, it's okay. If you want to take that risk, that's fine, but know what you're doing and know, um, know what your process is and what your plan is. Uh, because it's, it's, you know, reader expectations, a big thing and it's hard to, you can't please everyone. Um, and you, and you can't lose at the same time, you can't lose what you want to write in your heart. You know, so you, you can't get too into pleasing the reader but you should find a way to make your story something wildly enjoyable for the reader. Like you, you should, if you're a writer, you should be doing that and focusing on that and that alone, basically, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think reviews are a really interesting topic and, um, I love all mine, even the bad ones. And, uh, you know, for, for all my readers out there, cause I got a ton of reviews on the first book. Um, if you read the second or third book, leave me a review. Just like that is, the best thing you can do for me if you're out there and you listen to this and you've read my books. Um, because I had a ton of people who reviews on the first book and then like, but this, I realize this is natural that people tend to review the later books less because they're just like, they review the first book, they get into it and then they just cruise through and then move on to the next thing, you know? Um, so yeah, reviews are the lifeblood of any author and, um, the bad ones are a part of it. And if you're smart, you'll learn from them. So that's kind of like my, my whole, ethos on it you know yeah the, the one the one i'll just i want to add one caveat the last thing we we're talking about 
real quick. Um, the funny thing about what you're talking about with the, the marketing with uh, tw with Twitter, the truth is none of that stuff works. Like the the spamming your book out there, even the big because I know like big writers who are um, like I, I've gone to a lot of writing conferences. I've met writers who are like big time writers who've done really well. They're conventionally published and all this stuff, and like they sell books. Like yeah, obviously like their, their publishing houses will put their stuff on Twitter. Those books sell because people know the authors and they love them. Like right. because the brand, because of the author brand, really. Like these big publishing houses, like they don't know how to publish. Like they don't know how to market books where people don't know the authors. They don't know what they're doing, and it's very clear these days. And especially, and you, like you said, you'll see these things like, oh, we can market your book and get this many followers and so many stuff. Like most of it is complete nonsense. The vast majority of it's nonsense, and poor authors get trapped in. It. And I just, I just want to say it as a cautionary tale to writers: like, don't think you go out there and just spam your book. Or get someone else to spam your book, or get a marketing has to spam your book. Like they don't know what they're doing. It doesn't work. It might have worked when Twitter first came out, but nowadays, if you go search like free book, book on Kindle, like do a hashtag like that, and you will see literally millions of people trying to sell their books just by spamming it out there. Like, do you think do you think there are people, real readers, combing through those lists? <laughs> like there aren't. I never have. Yeah, believe me, almost no one is. And then the chances they'll pick your book among all the millions out there being just spammed it's like you got to be organic about this um yeah anyway that's just the last thing i want to say and i, I it's just because i'm very um i have a lot of feelings about it i think it's really interesting so i just kind of wanted to toss that in there do you do you still think word of mouth is is the best thing to do like when, when i when i first started doing this i i just want i always thought i really like this thing i think you'll like it too and I yes. always thought if I could get if if one person saw that and go, oh okay, well maybe I'll look at it, and yeah. and, and and they liked it too, totally you know mission accomplished. Yep. I I got somebody to like something that I liked. Yes. Now and, if you got a bunch of people to do that, you know it's just that whole word of mouth thing. Do you does that work in, in absolutely, today's? Absolutely. Word of mouth is literally the best, and I would be hard pressed if someone would tell me otherwise. Word of mouth is because ultimately, if word of mouth goes far enough, far enough, that's just a famous author, um, right? And so yeah. that's what that's what word of mouth is. And yeah. I've actually I've read a, I uh, I listened to a podcast, uh, the Joanna Penn uh, podcast. She she's actually the, the she's a great self published author who's big on self publishing. I met her in person at a conference, and she was the person who turned me on to self publishing. And she's awesome. She's a really wonderful, kind person who was very generous with her knowledge as well. Um, and I saw uh, I saw a podcast with her where she was talking to this author who published a, a thriller novel. Um, I forgot the author's name. She published a thriller novel about a female murderer, um, female serial killer, which was like super rare. And um, and it was you know apparently it was a, it was a good book. She published it and for years it sold basically nothing. And um, one day it just started selling like crazy, and she had no idea what was going on. And eventually she realized it's because just for fun, because she was bored, she started talking with a bunch of people in a forum and became really good friends with this huge community of readers in a forum and, and was never trying to sell her book to any of them. She just made friends with all of them. And then eventually people like saw the, her book and her signature and started like, and they had such, they had were connected, they were invested with her as a person because they like literally just became friends online. And then once it was just that group that it, when it was a big group, apparently that started reading it, 
but they all loved it and they all shared it with people, everyone they knew. And all of a sudden her book blew up and she was selling ridiculous numbers of copies. And like, that's how this stuff works. Like that's real market. That, I mean, like ultimately that's why I say cover and blurb and title is so important because like getting someone to care and like, I mean, I have friends and people who tell me like one of my best friends, he tells me, he's like, at my job, I tell people about my book, about your books. Cause I'm so, I think it's so cool. You wrote them. And every once in a while, like someone, he tells me about someone who, was interested he literally gives my book to them and then they love it and they give it to their son or their cousin you know and like and this stuff and like i don't care if you give a free copy of my book doesn't want i don't doesn't bother me like that's great that's amazing um so word of mouth you're absolutely right word of mouth is the defining char characteristic of a successful book because it means that it made an impression enough that someone wants to share it with someone else and that's how eventually if that goes far enough that's how a famous author is made and um all this other stuff like it's literally all, all this other marketing is just a tool to try to get word of mouth, you know? Right. And that's why the quality of the book has to be as high as possible. It's why you really have to work on your craft and be as good as possible. Cause there's a lot of great books out there, man. Like you have to, you're competing with a lot, you know, you're competing with big name authors, you're competing with everything. And you really have to, you really have to pour your heart and soul into it in more ways than one. Like you both have to heart and soul and brain. Like you have to be really smart about the story you're telling and whether or not it's interesting or that anyone would care. Um, anyway, so I'm going on a tangent, but like, yeah, I totally agree with you. And like, like essentially like what this, like the grassroots social media marketing I'm talking about where you just talk to people that that's word of mouth. Right. That it, it's on the internet, but it's essentially the same thing. You know, it's like, that's, that's how this stuff really works. Um, because readers, you know, I'm like you, man, I got a pile of books that'll never end and I'll die before I finish them all, you know, like, and, you know, everyone's got to pick and choose what they read. And I'm like you, dude, if I'm not hooked in short order, I'm not reading it. And I know some people, I know some people stick to books and they're like, they'll see it through no matter what. That's not me. Like, and, and a lot of people like you have limited time, you have limited time to invest in a story and you want to find one that really means something to you. So, um, that's why the recommendation from someone else means so much. Because if you know someone you respect, liked, and was moved by the book, there's a good chance you will do. And that's why word of mouth is still, still, still the Cadillac, man. It's still the uh, the Rolls Royce. Yeah. Okay, so American yeah. Rebirth is a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Is it over? Are we are we going to see more any more books in that uh, series, or are you planning on going off on something else? So this is, um, this is something I've been thinking about. There's a lot of different stuff I want to do. Um, this is kind of behind the curtain stuff, but I might be collaborating with a very well-known author on a fantasy novel, uh, sometime soon. I can't tell you who she is. Um, but oh, firsthand, oh shit, <laughs> it is a woman. Okay. That narrows it down. <laughs> so it is a woman. <laughs> so, um, I, I talked to her. She's a, she's a friend of mine. Um, she's a, very very successful author so much so that i kind of just like when i hang around with her i'm just like can i please learn something from you <laughs> like she's <laughs> she's incredible um she has something like 150 books on the new york times bestseller list or something insane oh, wow. like, yeah um and so i've known her for a long time she's uh she's a really cool person and we were chatting and and she was she was like hey let's uh you want to co-write a book together and i was like yes <laughs> so um, it will probably be a while down the pike cause she's super busy, obviously. And she's got a ton of stuff with her life going on, but it's possible that sometime in the next year or two or whatever, um, 
I might be writing a fantasy series with her, which would be amazing for me and my career, obviously. Uh, and, and just cause she's a brilliant writer and I, I, I want to learn from her, you know? Um, but outside of that, the answer to your question is yes, we will see more of the American rebirth series. I am currently writing the prequel to the American rebirth series. Um, it's currently titled times what they are, but we'll see. That's kind of a working title. We'll see what the, it ends up being. Um, but it's basically the story, uh, for those that know my books, it's the days before the apocalypse and it's Robin Taylor. Um, it's Robin Taylor together in DC, just kind of being regular, you know, Rob's trying to find a job and trying to figure out what he's doing with his life. And Taylor is just kind of like in love with a guy down the street who doesn't know she exists. And, um, and they're just, they're just kids in DC. And then, uh, like the book starts right before and then one day the apocalypse happens and they don't know what the cause is. They just know that the city goes to shit. Um, and, um, and so Rob and Taylor then have to kind of fight like they, well, they don't fight immediately. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how to fight. Um, so they, uh, they kind of like fumble through kind of just hiding in their house, trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, um, there's a guy, the guy that she knows from down the street is a, is a soldier. He's a, uh, He's a young guy, but he he was just had did a tour of duty, and um, basically takes him under their wing and like is like if you want to survive, you need to follow me and do what I say, and um, it's basically the story of them how they escape DC, how they get into the country, how they learn how to fight and learn how to rob, you know, realizes he's an incredible shot with a gun and uh, is is first comes to confront the reality of death and life and what the new world is. And so it's very raw. It's very, very emotional and powerful. Like I'm, I'm having so much fun writing it, Evan, because it's like, it is like, if you liked Hood, it's like Hood on heroin, because it's like, <laughs> like it's like, because it's the moment where it's happening, and they're all just like, struggling to deal with it. And this one um, guy is trying to help them through, and it's basically the story of how they get to Clearwater, um, how they meet whiskey, and then eventually how the Clearwater begins, how that whole town and and uh, that their 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 Clearwater crew, their survival, their kind of uh, Robin Hood in the woods begins. So it's um, that's the book I'm writing right now. Uh, hopefully it'll be done. I oh got I don't know. <laughs> I'm still really really on. I'm hope hopefully it'll be done this by next summer. I don't know. We'll see. It's gonna. I'm gonna write my ass off. I'm gonna see how much I can do. But um, I'm loving it. I'm really excited. It's, this is the most fun. I mean, I loved writing book three, book three, American Rebirth was, uh, oh my, it was a, like a life experience for me. I loved writing it, but it was really hard because I had so much to tie into book two and book one and writing sequels in general is just really hard. You have so much to tie together, but this book has just been pure fun. It's just adrenaline and, and raw human feeling and kind of like just regular kids trying to survive the apocalypse and it's like it's just been it's been so much fun to write man i can't wait i can't wait to get it done and into the hands of readers like i i'm so excited about it um and i released on my blog i released like little uh snippets of it um because i wanted honestly i wasn't sure if i was going to write it because i wanted to write it but i didn't know how much people would be interested in that because it's kind of a prequel or it's definitely a prequel um i'm going to brand it a little differently but it's a prequel um and uh, so I, I sent it to you know my mailing list and some of my readers and see what they thought. And uh, I got overwhelmingly positive feedback, which was great. Um, 
So I'm really excited about it. And hopefully for me, the cool thing is, since it's kind of a seed, like, um, is sort of a stand. I mean, it's basically a standalone. Like you read it and not know anything about the books and no, and it'll, it's a full story. Um, but it also feeds directly into my series. So hopefully if it, if it kind of blows up, which, you know, obviously that's the dream. (laughs) If it blows up, it it could feed directly into the series and it could be really positive. And, um, I think for post-apoc readers of any type, this is a book you're going to want to read because it's, um, just because it's about, you know, it's, it's shit hits the fan. It's, right. you know, it's, it's really the, uh, the moment of, of, oh shit, who, what, what do we do now? You know, and like, it's, and I really want to delve into that. I really want to delve into like, they really don't know what to do. Like, they, do you leave home? Do you not leave home? Like, where do you go? Like, do you wait for her family to show up? Like, you know, they really don't, they really ha- have no clue. And, and really without this military, kid their age who helps them through like they would be they would have been fucked sorry pardon my language but um oh no dude this 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 podcast has an e so okay cool <laughs> yeah, okay, <good. laughs> yeah so they would be fucked if, if it went out for this guy so um because really what what i what i was struggling with with the story is that like they're not soldiers like T- taylor's just the you know taylor and rob they're just kids from dc and like how would they actually survive before they met whiskey and whiskey takes them under their wing like how did they get from dc to there and survive and the obvious answer was like someone who knew a little bit how to survive at least would have to help them because you know regular good people without any idea what to do in the apocalypse usually don't do well (laughs) you know um so to me it was like how did they get there and this was it's sort of it's like a coming of age it's like an apocalyptic coming of age story because it's them coming to grips with how to survive and um you know, how to transition from being millennials, basically, in the, in civilization to being survivors. And it's uh, it's been so much fun. Like, I, I know I keep saying that, but I'm enjoying the heck out of writing it. And um, I really can't wait to get it done. It's going to, you know, it's going to I'm going to take it time and let it do it the right way and make sure it's what I want it to be. But it's uh, it, it's I'm really excited about that, that I can't wait to get out there. I already know what the cover is going to look like and everything. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Dude, that sounds awesome. I absolutely love prequels, and I especially love prequels uh, that come after I've already read, you know, mm-hmm. what's happened before. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess after. Yeah. Uh, because I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated with knowing the genesis of, of something. You know, you're, you're thrust into this world, you know, this PA world, um, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, like with a book like yours. Or you know even something with the road, where you know the the world is is absolute shit, and, <laughs> yeah. and you don't know why, and yeah. and and you just know that the the world sucks, but you don't know mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And then uh, there's nothing I love more than when a than when a writer goes back and gives us the whys and wherefores of what happened and all that. So yeah, I'm totally stoked. That's to, awesome. To read this and uh, wow, next summer, huh? Man, that's a that's a long time. Shit. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I guess I'll have to wait. You well, know? well, I'm, I'm about, <laughs> about a quarter of the way through the book now, but um, maybe a little bit less. I've I've been writing my tail off, but it's been a you know it's I've been doing a lot this summer, and it's been um, it's it it also is a labor of love for me, so I want to make sure I get it right. So hope maybe I'll get it before next summer, but. Um, that's my conservative estimate right now is, is by next time. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it depends how long it is too, but, um, who knows? Maybe I'll be able to pump it out earlier. 
All right, I'm going to ask you one last question. Yeah. If the world went to crap, mm -hmm. and it was, you know, we're living in a post-apocalyptic time, would you be the lone wanderer, kind of like a Mad Max, or would you be uh, living in a more communal, uh, in a, I don't want to say commune, that's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, kind of like a Walking Dead, you know, where you're you're yeah. you're in a community. Mm -hmm. um, which one would you be, and why? I think um, you know, there's something very uh, powerful and like kind of dude romantic about the lone wanderer. <laughs> and, like, I want to say like, yeah, I'd be that guy. I'd be that lone wanderer, like just doing, you know, kind of surviving out there like a badass, but. Um, I know myself and I would definitely be the community person because like, yeah, I mean, um, I'm kind of a giver at heart, you know, like I seeing other people succeed and thrive and, and, and being a part of their success and helping, helping other people just in general is something that means a lot to me. And so I actually think as much as I am terrified and don't want the apocalypse at all, I know I would probably really enjoy um, the building and the nurturing side of really like bringing a community together and like being the glue that helps bring a community together. Like to me, that would mean a lot. Uh, um, one, because it's so like, that's just, you see the direct effect. Like you are literally helping build lives. You're helping build a new civilization, even if it's tiny, tiny, tiny one. Um, but uh, I, that idea of like building something and being a part of it and helping others is just something that's always been meaningful to me. It's kind of just the way I'm wired. Like I, I just like that. Um, so, and also like I just, I'm also, I am a, it's in my nature to be a tight knit community person. Like people who know me know I don't make a ton of, like I don't make friends easily. Like I don't just like, I don't just rent, like collect new friends, you know, like I'm very, very selective about the people I, uh, I'm close to. Um, but those people I do, I am close to, I, I am like crazy loyal and, you know, like I, I just, I, to me being there for them and helping them is really important to me. And so like, I, that's a hundred percent, I would be a tight, I'd be in a tight knit community of people that, you know, I wanted to help that I felt you know, were good people who deserved it. And, you know, it would be interesting. It, the interesting thing would be if you go in a community and like most of the people you care about and one or two of them are like really people who shouldn't be there or are really bad people. And that's when it gets interesting. But, um, then would I be the law or would I be the diplomat or would I be, you know, the voice of reason? Like that's kind of the, that's to me the question that would happen, but I would probably be, I would definitely be a community based, like a, like a, uh, driving force to bring people together. Um, just in my nature, the only way I could possibly be the wanderer is if like I lost everyone and all, I would just be wandering to help people in random places where I'd like go to a town and help people and wander in the next town. Like I'd be a wandering helper. <laughs> it's, weird. it's just, you know, I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a cool question. And cause I think there are people who legitimately would be the lone wolf. Um, but I think me personally, I would definitely be, I'd be a glue guy. Well, cool. Hey, you mentioned you had a blog. I, yeah, I do. Let us know where that is and, uh, tell us where else we can find you. 
So I, uh, my blog is uh, evanpickeringauthor.com. So it's E-V-A-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G, author.com. Um, you can email me at evanpickering at evanpickeringauthor.com. <laughs> and then I have um, my Twitter, which is probably the social media I like the most these days. Um, and you can at Evan P. Author. So again, E-V-A-N-P, author. Um, I also, like my books are on Audible. Um, they're on Amazon. They're on iTunes. They're on Google Play. They're on, um, they're, I'm, they're basically everywhere you can find a book, uh, an ebook if you want to. They're also on paperback through CreateSpace. You can go on Amazon and get them there. Um, yeah, so they're pretty, Amazon's definitely the big cheese, but I'm on every, you know, Barnes and Noble Nook, I'm on that. I'm on basically everything that sells books. Um, so yeah, the uh, but my blog, I love my blog. I, I post there every once in a while. And I also have a mailing list for those who are interested. If you go to my Twitter, you can jump on my mailing list. Or uh, if you go to my blog, you can find my mailing list uh, under the contact section. Um, so yeah, it's mailing list is basically just updates to the blog. And I tell people, if you're on my mailing list, I might give you like an advanced copy of the book or something or, or advanced copies of, uh, you know, fresh releases of snippets of something I'm working on, things like that. Just sort of things that, to bring people aboard and, and uh, reward them for being uh, for being readers and for being supporting me and stuff. So um, I got a lot of cool people that uh, support my books and are interested and stuff and I'm always looking for more, obviously. So if anyone's interested, you're welcome to hop on. And if you ever want to ask me questions, you're welcome to DM me on Twitter. And uh, oh, I also have a Facebook, um, uh, Evan Pickering author on, on Facebook. I, I don't go on it a ton, but it's there. Um, but yeah, DM me on Twitter or send me an email and, uh, you know, I'll be happy to chat with anyone if they're interested. Well, Evan, this has been awesome. Evan, uh, it's been a long time coming, like I said, and I really, I really enjoyed this. This was cool, man. You, you got a, you got a cool thing going here with the, with, uh, the, from the wastes and the last librarian and all this stuff is, is cool. I like your, your post-apocalyptic enthusiasm. It really shines through. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, man. And I totally dig in your books, and I'm totally stoked for uh, for this prequel that's going yeah. to be coming out uh, sooner than next summer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Yeah, dude, it's my pleasure. It's 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 been a ball. All right, well, take care. All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Wanderers, thanks for listening. You can find my blog at fromthewastes11811.wordpress.com. My email is fromthewastes at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at fromthewastes and on Facebook at facebook forward slash fromthewastes. You can also find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Player FM, pretty much all your podcast players. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. Until next time, take cover and take care.